Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ, and joining me as always this week is the sports columnist from the Lansing State Journal, Graham Couch, and the Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer, Chris Solari. Graham, how are you doing on this beautiful Thursday morning? I'm fantastic. It's a hoop season officially. Football puts out its schedule, it sits down. Like, I'm somebody who loves when the seasons transition from one to another and you can finally put one away. We're not going to do that on this podcast. We've got lots of football to get to, but I love when it, it, it sort of officially becomes college basketball season. I love the routine of January. I love the, the random travel to places like Madison and Champaign for, 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 for hoops games. This is my favorite month of the year, which is really weird. I know. <laughs> Chris, how you doing? Well, Graham likes cold weather, so that's probably part of it. Um, <laughs> I, I would prefer those trips in September and October personally, no offense to you, Graham, but Madison and Iowa City. Iowa City always seems to be the coldest place in the world. Even with Minnesota on that docket, it seems like Iowa City always ends up being even colder. It definitely um, definitely is on that trip for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a chance to go to the uh, national championship game on Monday between, between Georgia and Alabama, and Georgia and Alabama fans really got a bit of a rude awakening from the cruel Indianapolis weather as it was in the teens uh, that oh. night, and even even me, Midwestern born, Midwestern raised, uh, I was freezing my keister off walking around downtown that night before we before we went to the game. That should have been played outside. Oh, that Sorry, was... <laughs> play that game outside, boys. Let's let's see what let's see what SEC teams can do above the Mason Dixon line after September. Yeah, let's move that to the Butler Bowl. Let's see, <laughs> or, or Purdue, or Muncie, or uh, uh, yeah. Bloomington. Yeah, <laughs> lovely stadium at Butler too. I was able to catch that in a, a gigantic downpour when we were there for basketball it was uh, a fascinating spot. nice little bowl there yeah yep. I, i'd like to see that premium ticket look only caesar sportsbook betters will be able to get premium seating chris as, as you as we learned this morning Ooh, that's a solid tease right there <laughs> thank you and we will we will get into that later in the podcast but for now let's talk about michigan state basketball who are coming off the heels of a uh, pretty nice win over minnesota well, Graham might not say pretty nice if you read his three quick takes columns, three quick takes column on Wednesday night. But the Spartans, uh, a game where they led by against Minnesota, a game they led by ten in the first half, lost that lead, and then were able to come back and win seventy one sixty nine on a last second bucket by Joey Hauser off a feed from AJ Hogard. Uh, two guys uh, who are who run hot and cold with both Izzo's post game uh, comments and and with fans as well. But uh, we'll start with you, Graham. Uh, while it might not have been pretty. Michigan State gets the win and kind of maintain the pace that they've been going here. And, and this still looks like a, a team that's going to be, you know, top 10 and, you know, still on track for some special things here, maybe when the season uh, gets close to the NCAA tournament. Maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. And, and look, <laughs> you know, I, I do want to cut them a break that last night was the first game really since Kansas that I thought they played, you know, they played games where they haven't played as well, but they played a team that played with more purpose and more physicality and, and just executed better. And Minnesota was a better team for for good swaths of that game last night. And I thought Minnesota played really well. To be, I mean, a lot of what happened last night is a credit to them. You get beat a certain way at home, you come back a few weeks later, and you do some things differently. Um, it, it's, it's what Ben Johnson's doing there, and I, 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 that, that was a really promising thing for them. Uh, however, I think there are a couple concerns. One, that Michigan State – can look like a top 10 team sometime, be in the conversation in the Big Ten. And again, they haven't played anybody real yet in the Big Ten. I mean, that's going to get that's going to hit in a, in a week or so here with, with Madison and Champaign back to back. But the the other but then they can also look like a team that, that you're just like, how how is this team 14 and two? I think the concerns that come out of last night 
are a couple are, are twofold. They played the last ten minutes without Marcus Bingham Jr. and without Tyson Walker, and neither one of them was injured to the point they couldn't play, which is good news in the sense that they're not injured for MSU, but troubling that two guys who are two of your three or four real factor guys on the team, your rim protector, the guy who's had an amazing sort of renaissance this season, and Bingham, and your point guard who's changed who you are this season, uh, who took himself out of the game in frustration. I mean, he may have you know t- turned his ankle. Those two things are things to watch. And Walker is an interesting kid. Walker becomes a fascinating guy. We've seen this with Bingham before, and that's a bad step back. They need him to have another surge. For a while, he was just better every night he played. With Walker, it's something to watch because he played a really good spell of basketball, his best stretch of the game, had a couple turnovers, one that I didn't think was that bad. I mean, it was the guy got his hand up as he was kicking it out, whatever. The other one wasn't great. Then he pulled himself. He, like, pointed to to Hogard to come in. And Hogard's credit, Hogard made the play at the end. Hauser made the finish, and I think you got to feel good for those two guys. And MSU did enough, and they won a game, and that's that's all good. Um, but I, I think the storylines surrounding the win are as are as big as is the win itself. Yeah, and you know you got to remember this is a team that was up at one point ten uh, in Michigan State when those guys were in. Um, so you know there's some some questions I think there. Um, you know they, they had a chance to really blow this game open a little bit more and give Minnesota credit because I think Minnesota uh, did a good job from the midpoint of this of the first half. Uh, through the end of the game to really kind of kind of disrupt things defensively and make things a lot harder for for everybody at Michigan State. But, you know, I mean, they don't win that game as well without the hot starts that Bingham and Walker had and Max Christie as well. Um, I, I do think that not having those two guys long-term, um, you know, in this game, I think, I think there's bigger benefits – to, to having the group that they had out there to, to know that they could play small with Hauser and Hall for long periods of time if they need to. Uh, they don't have to necessarily rely on Bingham, who had four blocks in the game, uh, to be that rim protector. They can they can defend a little better. Um, I, I think that, obviously, the, the confidence boost that both Hauser and Hogart are going to get uh, off that last play is, is huge. But um, I don't personally think there should be as much concern about the the Bingham and, and Walker situations. Um, Cause again, you know, if Izzo says he could have put them back in and he didn't, um, you know, this isn't January. Those guys would be back in the game. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, you know, and I do think that, Hey, you know, that's they're, they're 14 and two. Now they're undefeated in the big 10. And like you said, with that tough stretch coming up, um, there's something to be said about one, the confidence factor, but two, being able to win a close game in Big Ten play, and you know that's that's going to bode well for them in that stretch to to be able to to know that they can win a tough game uh, even without all their bullets. Yeah, and, and to, to your point on Walker and, and, and Bingham, whether he would have brought them back in, I, I mean, I do think you're right. If this is March Madness. He might have uh, uh, Bingham was there were certain things they were struggling with, but he was still, you know, the the problem with the Bingham scenario to me for him is, is, you know, Izzo said it was ball screens in the way they had to play ball screens, which was the reason they, you know, went to that change. But when Bingham's been at his best last this year so far, he is dictating the matchups. He's the problem. It's not, you know, he, he's beyond this. Well, he didn't fit this matchup. Bingham is the matchup. Bingham is he's been a force at times. Like that that he's got to get back to being that guy and and, and he was a little bit on the, the glass. He affected some shots. He still does that pretty well. He had a couple buckets in, inside. Um Izzo said he got pushed out a little bit. He wasn't great on the glass, which was certainly uh an issue. Um so that that was that was interesting. And with Walker, I think you're right on that. I think Walker Izzo was saying to Walker and he went over and talked to him at one point and it was you know you take yourself out, I'm going to go with the other guy, you know. And I do wonder if this was a Sweet 16 game, if he wouldn't have said, well, let's see what he had. He was playing really well for a stretch there before it happened. Um, but I think that was – and, and well, go ahead. What's, what was really strange to me um, in that whole scenario with Walker, right? So this is a quote from Izzo after 
you know, some of these things, when you go from a different level, it's not as easy as everyone thinks. I think sometimes physically, sometimes mentally, and sometimes size, and sometimes different things. Uh, I didn't think he let that get to him. So, you know, first of all, I mean, Walker's played against bigger guards, and Minnesota's got a lot of bigger guards than him, and I think that's part of that. But it was only a few minutes earlier that he was staring down Minnesota after draining that three with a look of confidence and swagger that he hasn't had this year. I mean, they were daring him to shoot. He hit back-to-back shots uh, before those turnovers. So, you know, it was just a really weird scenario, you know, going from where he was at height-wise in terms of, uh, of confidence after making those shots, so those couple turnovers, and then quickly going to the bench. So, I don't he, know. It, he's it, an interesting guy. He's, it, he's, to me, it was just really weird. He's an interesting guy because he's as introspective and he's as hard on himself as anybody I've ever seen. And you know, yeah. he goes over to the bench after he screws up, and he just lets into himself. <laughs> like he's just like, whoa, man! Like, and but it, it, it's so it, that's an interesting um, personality, just sort of to watch as the season goes on because they need to be able to count on him. And um, and last night was the first time they kind of couldn't, you know, and uh, that that was a, you know, it, and it, you know it's also like you know I've you know I've been on the floor before in a pickup game where you're you're the one screwing it up and you're like ah somebody come in for me I, I'm horrible here <laughs> this is not that this is Big Ten basketball man <laughs> like you know you gotta you gotta you gotta fight your way through it and and the thing about as good as Hogard was last night and that final play was a great dish. And he's a guy who has all the confidence in the world, and 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 he brings something to MSU, even if it's it's sometimes one speed and it's a little too burying the head and all that stuff. I but I MSU will only be at its best this year when Tyson Walker is it is at his best. Like the the difference between Tyson Walker's best when and he's on the floor for MSU and anything else they can do is is is, is there's a there's a golf there. Like he needs you know, and so that that that's. I think the concern, um, and so Northwestern then becomes a little interesting this weekend that maybe was a less interesting game um, because they now have one game to try to get feeling good about those two guys again before they really absolutely need them. Maryland took up the double overtime, so, you know, you're going to get a Northwestern team that might be a little depleted there um, from an energy standpoint coming into Breslin on Saturday afternoon with a quick turn. The, the other thing I wanted to bring up about the game that, that I thought was important, and this is this is on the positive note for, for MSU, is is sort of what um, Max Christie is doing right now. And there, there's a couple things to, to look at here. One, he is not yet a guy. It was interesting because they put the ball in his hands in the final minute, and he nearly turned it over. And he said after the game it wasn't nerves, but he did say that's a spot I haven't been in. I haven't been asked to do that at the Big Ten level. And, it, you know, he coughed it up there. And, and so he's not there yet, and which goes to my point I've been saying all along, like how far this team goes is really up to his growth in certain ways. And now obviously the Walker and Bingham things are, are, are part of that. But this is what's interesting. In, in the last uh, four games, you know, and he was struggling to shoot the ball for a while. He's now 23 of 37 from the floor. And that includes that rough first half at Northwestern. And 11 for 17 from three. So he's not overshooting still. I always say the more he shoots, the better. But he has found his shot. And so the question becomes how much more they can integrate a guy who's found his shot into the offense. Like I, I, and, and he was fatigued last night. They ran him, I think, like 32, 34 minutes. He played a lot. Um, you could tell he made a couple errors and turnovers of fatigue and things. But that that's a guy who you want shooting the ball right now. And that's a really good sign for MSU. Yeah, and I thought that, you know, what, what also was interesting is not just that, that he had the ball in his hands in that last possession, but there were a number of possessions down the stretch where he was bringing the ball up, almost kind of right. what they did with Aaron Henry last year, um, which is a little bit different. And that's, you know, whether that was Tom Izzo trying to say, we're going to need you at some point to do this, and we want you to, to get accustomed to that. Um, I'm not certain because obviously, and maybe it was to take – some of the pressure off Hogard at that point, who had played 10 minutes, um, you know, almost uh, final 10 minutes plus uh, to give him a little breather on the, on the ball pressure. Uh, but I also thought for the first half, and we, we talked about this during the game, it was like Malik Hall wasn't part of their game plan. And Malik Hall had a tremendous game in Minneapolis against the Gophers in that one and was hitting 
you know, uh, I think he went like five of seven or something along those lines where he was just hitting every shot and they just weren't going to him. I don't think he had either taken a shot or he only taken one shot up until he came in the game uh, with about 16 and a half minutes left in, in the second half. And then he started playing with his hair on fire. Um, you know, he hits a couple shots. I think he had six of his seven rebounds and all seven of his points after that point. Um, he was an integral part of that. Um, and they've got to find a way to keep Malik Hall as a primary focus in some way, shape, or form when he's on the court because he's been a pretty consistent shooter. I mean, he finished three of four. Um, so when he has the ball, and particularly in the mid-range, I think he's got some confidence. I think he's still hitting at a ridiculous clip when he does shoot from outside too. So you know, they got to find a way to get him more touches and more involved in the offense. He's a guy that, especially against certain matchups, and Minnesota is one of those matchups. He had a really good game the first time, six for nine, 15 points. I think they played him a little bit differently early. Like they, they gave him space to operate more so than this time. But you saw the three hit. Like you're right. The, like I don't, I still don't trust his three point shot, <laughs> but he's making all of them. And, um, and you want to ride that stuff. And, and I think it's also up to Malik Hall, though. He has to um, make himself a factor earlier in games and in every game because they're a different team when he's playing well. Let's talk a little bit about Hauser, too, because I think that, you know, we talk about all this, but Hauser was the one at the end of the game getting mobbed. Um, and he went four or five in the game. He thought he could shoot better. He, he only The only shot he missed was the only shot he took from beyond the arc, too. And, I mean, from a guy that, you know, whose, whose chops are from beyond the, beyond the arc, you know, he he hasn't really been shooting a lot and hasn't been shooting all that well from deep. But in that game, they needed him to be a little bit more inside. And obviously, going with Hall and Hauser in the post at the end um, was a little different. But, I mean, he's taken two threes in the last two games. Um, so there's been a concerted effort uh, to, to not shoot from outside. But they need that part to develop. And maybe this is where that – that confidence of, I mean, that was a heck of a play getting through traffic there. I mean, he readjusted midair to get through the hands to, to put in that layup, let alone the, the tremendous pass in traffic from, from Hogard, but, but he finished and that was a finish. That wasn't just like a, you know, I have an easy layup. He had to create that and, and got it off before the horn. So, um, you know, I think the next step, you know, you talk about Hall shooting from outside. they got to get Hauser shooting. It doesn't have to be, you know, eight shots from, from the arc a game, you know, but he's got to be a viable option to, to take and make. Is it weird that I thought the most interesting thing about it all was Izzo's post-game comments where, like, he was like, the people who were ch- chanting and cheering Joey at the end of the game better not have been the ones that were, were trashing him previously. I was just like, uh all right, well, maybe there's some truth to that, but let's let's just bask in the moment and celebrate the win instead of having to throw that pot shot out there. Well, you know, but I think he's very aware of that. And, you know, Hauser sort of downplays it, but it, it's affected Hauser a great deal, and Izzo's aware of that. And um, and even yeah. this year, there was a point where you could feel the tension around Hauser in, at Breslin, you know? And so I... I think Izzo's trying to keep – one of the great battles of this year for Izzo has been trying to keep not from losing Joey Hauser. You know, I don't think he's always the toughest kid mentally. You know, I, I think he's he does a lot of good things for them at times. He's got the same short arm syndrome that I have that's very frustrating for people sometimes when he's rebounding and stuff. And uh, that's a genetic problem. That's not his fault. Um the uh, trust me, I blame my parents every 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 day for my five eleven wingspan on a sixty frame. You know, I'm like a T Rex over here. As someone who is five eight, I would love to be five eleven. <laughs> we need to get you on the stretching rack. <laughs> yeah, something like that. The uh, that's why I married my wife. Kick it from the gene pool. Um, the uh, anyway, <laughs> but I, I I do think you're right because that can have a a real effect on confidence. That is a tough layup to make. That was it was through traffic. He had to adjust. Um. You know, you can really blow that layup. We saw some blown layups in that game, and, and uh, to come through to come through in a game like that, I, I think matters. I think for both those guys, and I think for their teammates. Because I don't know, you know, with Hogard, it's interesting. It was, I mean, and I do think MSU, I do think the guys really like Joey Hauser. It was you can see that with how happy they were for him, and that's a that's a cool moment. Um, and Izzo alluded to that as well. But 
I think with Hogard too, I, I, you know, Hogard didn't usually play with some of the lineups he played with as much. And I don't know how much his teammates always trust where he's going with things. And so I think last night was important for him in certain ways too. Cause you could kind of see it. And there was one play, for example, that went to Malik Hall that wound up being a, an offensive foul or a turnover or something where Hogard never shifted his eyes to a wide open Gabe Brown. He doesn't quite have Tyson Walker's vision. I don't think he ever will. But the problem with that is I think his teammates kind of know that too. And they don't, all right, what are we doing here? Am I, am I gonna am I gonna get it when in that moment I need it? You know, and, and so I but I thought the way he played at the end, when you come through for a team like that, when you come through on a pass like that, when you just when the team feels overall really good about you, I think that's good for all those guys. Well, I would be remiss before we move on if we didn't talk about the Michigan State Michigan kerfluffle over the weekend where uh last Saturday's game between the Spartans and the Wolverines was postponed and led to uh, another beautiful afternoon in the Michigan State Michigan Twitter discourse. Uh, <laughs> the news of the game being postponed was broken by Mark Titus and Tate Frazier from the Titus and Tate podcast of all people, just like we all predicted. Uh, Chris, let me start with you. I mean, th- uh, this ended up probably in some ways being a busier Saturday for you than it normally would have been, just trying to sort everything out that went with the what appeared to be some very late night decision making. Oh yeah, I mean, let's face it. It's it started. Uh about 2 a.m. when I woke up and saw, oh, there's a rumor out there. Uh, but I had asked, actually asked Tom Izzo about the potential for that on Thursday, uh, just knowing that Michigan had guys out, knowing how things can transpire quickly uh, with testing and everything, and he had not heard from anything from, from Michigan at that point. And I think that's probably part of where the, uh, the, the frustration may lie um, in that, there was no real communication at that point that, you know, we're on, we're off, maybe we'll be on and off. Um, obviously, things transpired throughout the course of Friday. I mean, you know, the, they they went down and did their shoot-around, and then Michigan had testing issues. And, you know, I don't think they found out until almost 11 o'clock at night uh, when they were getting ready for bed for the, for the game that everything would be – disrupted and and called off so um yeah it was it it was was real interesting i mean you know i know there's conspiracy theorists out there who were pointing to this earlier in in the week uh going into that game about it being possible um you know but you also have to understand how how things quickly can i mean i was on the drive to iowa they were they had the plane on the tarmac to take Michigan State to Iowa last year, and they had to pull because of tests. Um, and that's what ultimately started their 20-day uh, layoff. So that's how quickly things can can unravel. And I, I think the players understand that because they're living it. I mean, that's their daily life right now. The coaches understand that. Uh, but it doesn't make it any less frustrating to be in a place getting ready to play, particularly a rivalry game where you, you know, do you use a D'Antonioism, you know, you, you're, you're – keeping that lion in the cage until it's right about time to, to get to game time and it's building and bubbling and boiling. And then, Oh, by the way, it's not happening. I think that's, that may have accounted for some of the letdown uh, against Minnesota. I don't know how much, but um, certainly that's, there's an emotional component that goes to what these kids are dealing with in terms of testing, in terms of having games called off like this uh, on the fly that, that none of us can really understand unless you're right in the middle of it. Yeah, you know, I think a couple of things I want to get to. Like, I, I know as of 9.45, 10 o'clock, I, I knew as though I didn't know, um, you know, he had he had reached out to me about something else entirely, and they were on their way to a team meal. So yeah. that's how late, late it was. And um, from what I was told, it was they, that Michigan reached out um, and around, uh, some, right some around hard, right? 10 o'clock or a little bit after that, yeah. and they said, um, Hey, there might be an issue. And then within the hour it was, it's called off. Yeah. You know, and, and a couple things, one, the, 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 the tweet from the podcast, those guys have partnerships with, with Fox a little bit. Um, and that's, you know, that. you know, what else is interesting with that, you know, who, you know, whose uh, nephew 
happens to be a VP of digital content for Fox and also was one of the ones who announced the Titus and Tate podcast on Fox. A guy by the name of Mike Buckland. That's Tom Izzo's nephew. Yeah. Yeah. So that you, you can somehow see how things <laughs> that you don't expect happen sometimes. Uh-huh. But the, um, you know, what's interesting is, is a couple of things. One, I do think the frustration and, and partly was you have to come down from a boil. You know, you really get yourself in. I mean, Izzo is, you know, it is always 1991 to Izzo with that rivalry. It <laughs> doesn't matter who's coaching it. doesn't matter. And so for him, that is a different place he gets to. And he tries to take his team to. And all. And now you've had your shoot around. You're going to meal in bed thinking, I am focused on this. And you got to come down. And that's a real, man, that's, that's a real coming down from a high. You know, people, I know people th- think there, you know, there's all the ducking Michigan State memes. And, and look, there is a, there have been a number of circumstances that create bad optics. And it goes back to the Ohio State football game for Michigan last year where that, I don't even know if Jim Harbaugh's the coach this year if that game gets played because that would have been 147 and nothing. And you know, that might have been well, horrible. Yeah, that, and, and so, that in the Western Michigan hockey series. Uh, no doubt. And then, and then, yes, that was bad this year. And then last, you get a, a situation where a year ago, you know, Michigan – and I didn't, I didn't have a problem with this. Michigan, I thought, did what was safe and right for their players, but they kind of slow played coming back at their own pace and then won the Big Ten by percentage points. But the important caveat to that was there were no cases disclosed within their men's basketball program a year ago. That was an athletic department shutdown. That, that's kind of the difference, I think, between these, is that this was, this was a case situation. That one last year where they slow played it, uh, they didn't have any cases. So, I mean, that's why it's being met with, I guess, uh, you know, suspicion, a uh, little bit of scrutiny, uh, you know, almost a, a boy that cried wolf type thing. In well, and the, the other thing is that, you know, and there are a couple ways to look at it. They did go to Florida, and, and it, it didn't sound like they were exactly in a bubble in Florida. But, you know, this could have been MSU. A few, you know, uh, just before Christmas, MSU went to Detroit a couple days early. Their cases all stemmed, it, it appeared, or at least might have stemmed. You don't know where people get things. But, their cases came after that trip. You know, the symptoms came right after that trip. And the high point game, they're missing four guys. Now they're able to play it. But you know what I mean? Like, this could easily, this isn't This isn't really anybody's fault. And, and to be honest, one of the things I was trying to tell Michigan State fans is, MSU doesn't need this game. This, this game, this only hurts MSU if they, is if they make this game up and squeeze it in. And Michigan's playing a lot better. And, and it forces Michigan State to play three games in five days. And they're tired on that extra game. They lose another game because of it. If I'm MSU and I know they may not have full control out of this, I'm being real careful to what I agree to to play a, a makeup game, because and if it fits neatly, and the only place it would would be like if Maryland called off their game next week against Michigan, next Tuesday would give them two game two days on each side of a game, is the only five day w- break window the rest of the way for Michigan State where you would have two days on each side of a game. And look, I understand in the Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament, and even back in the 80s and early 90s when the games were on Raycom, that they would play a Thursday, Saturday. It's not like you need a million days to recover. But you're doing something that, that you were ready for the game. You don't need the game if you're MSU. you got plenty of other opportunities. Your, your resume is decent. You've got Michigan still coming to your place. I, I'd say that suffices. Michigan, on the other hand, if they're going to be an NCAA tournament team, they need wins like Michigan State against teams like Michigan State and Michigan State at home is an opportunity for that. Vegas had them as a one-point favorite. I think Vegas was wrong, but they had them as a one-point favorite. And um, I, so, I mean, I, I don't think this helped Michigan as much as, the, obviously, if they are missing a number of guys and didn't have a competitive team on that particular day, it might have gotten ugly. But you also don't want that. If you're the Big Ten, if you're Michigan State, you, you don't want to get to a place where, I know you can play with seven guys and one coach, but... If we're talking about fair, competitive fairness, and I know at Michigan and Ohio State where they have eight home games on the uh, on the football schedule, that's not really a big concern sometimes. But if you, we're talking about competitive fairness, you don't want to beat up on teams that you, you would have destroyed otherwise. You don't want teams to play those games. If you're Michigan State, you don't want to get to a point where you're missing four guys again. And say they're all scholarship dudes. And you're playing, you know, and I, I just think that – you know, I think this is the right move. We have to accept this is a weird year. We have to accept that there aren't going to be 20 games played on everybody's schedule, that the championship's going to be decided by percentage again. And 
And that's okay. Let's make this year as normal as possible. But don't mess it up. Don't make it worse by trying to cram games in. We don't know if Michigan's game against Illinois is uh, on yet still, do we? We don't. I mean, the last I heard, that there's they have every intention of playing. But, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to. So, and so Michi- you know, but Michigan's in a different spot, too. Like, Michigan's not benefiting from – like, a year ago, they were playing for a Big Ten title. That's not happening this year. This year, they're playing – to get into the NCAA tournament, if and for that they need some quality wins at some point, you know, and that that's so this isn't this doesn't help them like it might have if you were playing for a title. Kind of the spot where Michigan State was in last year when they played Absolutely. Michigan in those two games. One more basketball note here: since we last recorded, Michigan State landed its first 2023 commit with the commitment of point guard Jeremy Fears, 6'1", 165 from La Lumere in Indiana. He's originally from Joliet, Illinois, and in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, he is ranked 27th nationally, number seven point guard, and the number one player in Indiana. Graham, you wrote, you wrote what I thought was a pretty nice column about Fears and what this meant for Michigan State recruiting, and it feels like this is a guy Spartan fans should be excited about. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember his dad as a freshman. It wasn't that long ago, I thought. I thought I was still young. In, in 2005 at Ohio, taking the Bobcats to the NCAA tournament. And uh, dad was a fiercely talented Ooh. player um, who bounced around after a couple of years at Iowa. But, yeah, and it, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, Illinois kid, Chicago area kid where Izzo has not had a lot of success. I know he's at La Lumiere right now where Jaron Jackson Jr. was, but that that was a COVID thing. That was I, I, what I understand he may – wind back up at, you know, who knows, he, he, it's possible he winds up back at, at, at Joliet next year. Um, and so getting another kid out of that area, a kid who really seemed to like Izzo and what he stands for and, and how he coaches, and you want those kids. And the other thing I thought was really significant is, you know, they, they, they didn't have a point guard who was, despite what Foster Lawyer is doing at Davidson, tearing up the country here, um, they did not have a, a, a game, a point guard ready to lead that offense last year, and it, and it nearly cost them the NCAA tournament streak. And Izzo has very much made it a point that he's never again going to get caught without a point guard. Just never. He's loaded up on ball handlers because you got Aikens, the guy who could play point if you need him to. Yep. Um, you're bringing in Holloman from Minneapolis. Um, so there's, there's a lot of ball handlers coming in that, you know, that's that's kind of the way of the game right now. You you need more guys that can handle the rock. Even even looking at this team right now, you know, it, when they get out in transition, they're comfortable with Hall and Hauser bringing the ball up. So you need guys that can push it. No doubt. And he and this kid, Fear, I mean, Holloman comes in next year as a true point. Fears, uh, I think, can play on and off the ball a little bit. Um, he, he's, he's, he, he can score. I mean, he's another top 30 kid that I think is, is important for, you know, for um, – you know, you, you need talent recruiting, and top 30 kids aren't, you know, I, I just think it, they set themselves up nicely beyond um, this. Because the other thing is, I, I look at this group right now, perhaps as a two-year sort of iteration, right? there, And I think, and, and Fierce doesn't really fit that. He's, a, he's beyond that. He's sort of the next group leading that. And I, I think that's, um, I, no, I, I think it's a big get at that position out of that, that high recruit out of that area of, um, you know, out of that general Chicagoland area, I think is, is good for Izzo. One of the other things that I was thinking about here, just kind of uh, off the, the, the map a little bit, but back to Joey Hauser, um, how much eligibility is he going to have left? Because remember, he had that half year at Marquette where he got the red shirt that was hurt and could possibly get that back. So, I mean, there's still a couple years to they could possibly play with Joey Hauser. Well, and, the, and, and same with Bingham and, and Brown. And, and I think COVID year. I think I think you're going to wind up with Bingham next year. I think they need him to come back, or they're going to have to find a big man. But and, and I don't think Brown is, is is this may be Brown's moment in college basketball. But I think also you sort of see where the NBA sees him, and if it's a late second round guy, it may make sense for him. You know, um, and you could wind up now. I'm also a big believer that you can't just run it back. Um, you can't run it back with the same dudes. We saw it with Wisconsin. Doesn't matter. It's not just about talent. It's about you need some change. You need something that's new, something that's in, in, interesting. And you know they add a couple new pieces, and um, and, and Jackson Kohler and, and Trey Holloman. But th- that would be interesting if they just sort of ran it back. What, you know whether that would 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 make them make them better next year. But I do I do think um, to, to 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 put a bow on the the fears thing. Uh, uh, Excellent player, kid. A lot of people wanted could have gone anywhere, um, and 
one of the things that I think people were worried about when Jawan Howard came around and had been worried about throughout times is, you know, where Michigan State's recruiting, would they continue? I think what's happened since 2016 is, is proof that as long as this staff and Izzo is around, they, they're just they're going to be fine in that area. Even And what's important about this is Michigan is kind of dried up as a state right now. There's not a lot of top kids in, in state. And, and going out of state to get these guys is important too. All right, well, let's switch gears to football. But we are going to stay in the recruiting realm as also since we've last recorded, uh, the Spartan football team landed a four-star receiver in Jeremy Bernard from Nevada. I believe he was teammates with Caten Hauser at uh, – at Bishop Gorman, is that correct? Do I, do I have the high school correct, guys? No, it was at Liberty High before um, before House. Yeah, Hauser Hauser went to uh, St. John Bosco in California for his last two years. They were teammates, I believe, since they were they've known each other since they were you know ten, eleven years old. And so I'm sure we'll we'll have plenty of time to cover all of their <laughs> past dalliances and all that storyline, but. I do think that, you know, you obviously see that that, that pre-existing connection can sometimes pay benefits. I'm very excited for four more years of, of that being talking points on MSU Twitter and on various news telecasts. But uh, as I said, Bernard is a <laughs> is a four-star four guy, uh, number 33 receiver nationally. Uh, and it just seems like, a, you know, this is, the I believe, the third four-star guy in the 2022 20, class for the Spartans. And it really, and I think that is more than they had and the, the more four-star guys than they had in the previous three or four classes combined. So, Chris, it feels like, uh, once again, you know, Tucker has a, another area where Tucker's got things going in the right direction in recruiting. Yeah, and it's also important because he's enrolled and on campus yep. um, along with Hauser and a couple of the other freshmen right now. They're bringing in Antonio Gates Jr. as another four-star uh, recruited receiver. So they've loaded up on some bigger guys uh, uh, that can that can make an immediate impact at, at that position uh, to help offset the loss of Jalen Naylor. Um, obviously, bringing back Jaden Reed is huge. Um, and that, but I think that you know Bernard. What's interesting about that is um, you know he was committed to Washington. They had their coaching change there, and you know. What's interesting is that he went from – it's pretty clear that Washington didn't fit him at that point, but Washington's new coach uh, is Kalen DeBoer, who uh, had been the OC at Indiana when they had that, that great year a couple years ago and then went and got a, a job at Fresno State. And he's an offensive mind that's on the rise. So I think that you know that tells you kind of, I think, what the thought is for offensive players right now to go and play for, for Jay Johnson's offense. Um, because, you know, they, they like what they're seeing. They like what Michigan State did this year. And, you know, you're able to build up those skilled players and score points. That's how you win football games these days. And Bernard seems like he's one of those kind of guys um, that, that's got that electric playmaking ability. I think Gates is going to be – Gates, you look at what he's done, he could possibly be a day-one starter. Um, so I think they're loaded up at, at receiver and, and they've obviously got quarterbacks for the next few years. Now they got to be able to, to, to find those running backs. Um, you know, whether Jalen Berger is it or not, um, for the transport, they'll find out cause he's enrolled as well as a transfer. So, um, it's going to be a big spring for, for finding some of those pieces on the off. Yeah. And, and, and Phil, did you say, you said six, four stars, right? Uh, I think I said three. Did I? Is, is it six four stars in this class? Six four stars. It's six four stars. Okay, which is the most. It's, it's the most since. Uh, yeah, I misspoke. Uh, really, it, it's the most. It, you go back to two thousand nine is the closest. They, the last time they were like this, and, th- and those rankings, I don't even think were quite like that when they committed. Um, or, and that and that group obviously became the nucleus of the ten championship, the thirteen Rose Bowl, and and some of the right. big teams that really laid the foundation. And you could argue 2010 when they had the five star in there with five four stars is 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 you know or four four stars and a five stars is there too. But either way, this is this is up there with other than 2016 the disaster that was. And I think we have to sort of put that out of things. This is up there with the best recruiting classes ever at Michigan State already in year two of of, of, of Mel Tucker, and uh, they certainly at receiver have become an interesting team. And I think Jay Johnson, you know, I. I've had conversations with Alan Haller about this. He thinks Jay Johnson's worth the money. Whatever the, Jay Johnson is worth keeping around. Now, at some point, he's going to get a head coaching shot. And at that point, you lose him. That's yeah. okay. You want a tree. You want guys who go on. But 
you know, much like Narduzzi, and, and I'm not saying you're going to get him, Jay Johnson, for, for what, seven years or whatever, but you'd like to get some winning in and some real impact winning before you before you lose a guy. And, and so, um, but I do think it's a recruiting tool right now, what they're doing on offense. Uh, an interesting, and, 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 and I think Jeremy Bernard is the, the latest. Now, you never know with a four-star receiver, right? Cam Chambers is a four-star kid, and that didn't wind up being a four-star player. But, you know. You injuries. I'll, I'll contest that injuries cause that. Possibly. But also, you, you know, you recruit enough of these guys, some of them do absolutely hit. I mean, stars are stars for a reason. Alabama is not winning with two stars, right? And um, and Antonio Gates Jr., I agree with Chris on that. I, and I think the Jalen Berger point he made is a really good one. And I, and I think the timing of all the, the, the transfer running back from Wisconsin, the timing of all this – will be interesting that, that, that he's on campus. Like, in this transfer portal world, there are going to be layers and levels of recruiting. Mel Tucker has talked about it. You can add guys. You're going to be adding guys all the way up till June maybe. They're going to know this spring whether they think they have it at running back. And if they don't, they may not be done adding at running back in the transfer portal. And uh, I think the, 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 the four guys or the mainstays this spring – Will will be the will get their shot to to prove that either collectively or one of them breaking out is is more than suffices and and that's you know and and that may be the case but it, it, there will be some interesting things this spring and I think I, I think the spring absolutely helped Kenneth Walker uh, because remember a lot of people thought that because he was coming from Wake Forest and because Harold Joyner was coming from Auburn that maybe maybe Joyner would be the guy. The difference was the spring, I think, in a lot of ways. He he got acclimated to it. He knew what he had in front of him, and the coaching staff knew what they had in him, uh, whereas Joyner didn't get there until after spring uh, into the summer. Um, so I think that's kind of a pivotal thing. And I think that because of the transfer of Berger, um, you know, and if there's going to be any other uh, potential transfers coming in after that, we could possibly see more movement in that running back room. I don't think that, that Michigan State's done in the portal. I don't think that guys are done leaving. Usually we'll see that after spring ball. I think that's just the natural ebb and flow of things right now uh, in the the college football world. That was the natural ebb and flow for years and years and years. It's just, it's going to be a little slower now because guys want to get into their new spot with the immediate eligibility and everything to, to make an impact. That's why I think you've seen so many guys go into the portal after the December signing period to get to their next stop. Um, so you may see a slower trickle, but I still think you'll see guys moving uh, on, on both directions. All right, well, let's stick with the MSU roster here. Uh, nine days ago, about two hours or maybe an hour after we posted our last Spartan Speak on January 4th, Jaden Reed officially announced that he was coming back to Michigan State. Uh, obviously, he's the Spartans' number one receiver and will provide a big boost for Michigan State's offense and specifically quarterback Peyton Thorne. Graham, your reactions to him coming back? Well, it's a five-star. That adds to yeah. the class, right? I mean, it's a season five-star dude. It's, it would arguably make – I mean, I'm not saying other teams haven't had guys come back that make a difference, but this is a um, – and I think it's, the trickle-down is a mess. Number one, it gives, you know, uh, Peyton Thorne, from an MSU perspective, gives him a go-to target and all that stuff. But I think they've got a. I think they would have been okay at receiver. And I think they've got a lot of intriguing young pass catchers, including a guy like Trey Mosley, who might have been okay moving up into a featured role. Who knows? But it takes a lot of pressure off a lot of guys to take their next step without having to be the guy that defenses are focusing on. And and I think for for even guys like Malik Carr and and Keon Coleman, who we've seen some flashes from, and obviously Mosley and and and, and any freshman who step into that role, and uh, you know. It's, it's a good young receivers core, but now they've got their dude. And the question I have for, for Reed is, can he, like, I, I wondered with him, and the reason I'm a little surprised he's coming back is much like Xavier Tillman, when he had that amazing finish for those four games and he had a great junior year, that was sort of his moment in college basketball. You know, he wasn't going to do anything else at the college basketball level. And you, you watch the way Jaden Reed has a feel for it, the way both his touchdowns in the bowl game, the way he goes up and gets it, the way, I mean, what else does he can he do at the college level to improve his stock? Is he always going to be a guy who's a fourth round pick, which is what one scout had him, you know, uh, graded as? And and that's okay. The Lions' top rookie fourth round pick, and I w- watched him, and I remember watching the draft film on him and thinking, 
that guy's going to be good. And he was. And, and I think Reed will play in the, the next level, and you can get there from the fourth round. So I was a little surprised. But the, to move up, and I covered a guy, and, and those can drink to, to play this drinking game, named Greg Jennings at Western Michigan right away. And, Damn, right almost an hour. College football. And he was a guy coming into his senior year, could have gone pro. Thought he was going to have to make it as a return man initially. Would have been a draft pick. Led the nation in receiving, had 98 catches, even with a freshman quarterback. Dominated the college game against some good teams. They played Virginia in the top 25 and other teams that year. And then got became a second-round pick and a really good receiver for Brett Favre. His, his, his NFL career took a different trajectory because of that senior year that got him in round two. And so the question for a guy like Jaden Reed is, can he dominate the game at a different level at the college game? Um, can he separate a little better? Are there things that are still within him? To and, and he will begin this year on a track where he's on awards list where everybody knows his name, and that helps to some degree. But so that, that's why what, what I don't know, but it's a huge deal for MSU. Yeah, is this the part where I apologize to Phil? <laughs> you can you can you can do whatever you want, Chris. <laughs> well, we'll call back here because um, what we were talking about in the last podcast was Michigan State's tweet. Uh, that was a little tone deaf when it said the legend continues or whatever, because everybody talking going into that game, the bowl game, thought that Jaden Reed might be his, might be opt out. I mean that was that was the conversation. So he played, he had a great game. Um, he had the offensive MVP of the Peach Bowl, had those two big touchdown catches. So if from a Michigan State standpoint, if if that was your your mo that well, he's continuing the legacy at number one. It was tone deaf because it really set everybody off that he was coming back. I had heard a couple days before that that he was planning to come back and Naylor was planning to go. Um, so that's kind of why I was saying it on that podcast. And I didn't mean it that Phil was being tone deaf. I meant that the, the tweet was tone deaf. So I apologize to Phil for that. But that's why I felt that, that Reed was coming back. I mean, that – that ultimately, you know, I, I think this is a deep receiver draft. I mean, that's, I think, another thing. This, this is in part a business decision, I think, for Reed, for that exact reason that Graham brought up with Greg Jennings. Um, you, know, it, you know, you run the risk of what Antonio Brown did when he left early at CMU. Um, we saw him that year play against Michigan State, and I thought he was a dynamic playmaker that was going to be a star in the NFL he came out a year early, ends up a sixth-round pick. And, you know, well, we know how his career went since, and it was a fantastic career, and it's been a fantastic career with plenty of issues with, with personality, I think, that have come along with it that we've seen recently. But, but I think from Jaden Reed's standpoint, he doesn't have those issues. He's, he's a solid character kid that I think is, you know, got a, I think if he has a year where he proves himself, just like Jennings did, um, that he could bump himself up a couple rounds and, and a, a lot of money and, you know, make himself a higher pick. I think that's a good thing. I think playing another year with Peyton Thorne comes into play. I said that last week. Um, you know, these, these guys do have a special bond that goes back a long way. Um, and, and we can kind of joke about it, um, you know, because it does get to be an overwrought story, but it is part of their story. It's a big part of their story. I mean, that, that there's a reason that Jaden Reed ended up at Michigan State, and it was because of Peyton Thorne when, they tra- when he transferred from Western Michigan. That, and the reason that Thorne was going to go to Western Michigan was to play with Reed. So another year of that cannot hurt Michigan State's offense, and it can only help both of those guys. Well, I will say, Chris, apology accepted, and uh, you know, not, not a big deal in the grand scheme of life. Uh, sometimes we all we were passionate, we get talking about things, and Either we misspeak or things get misconstrued uh, one way or the other. So all all good. Phil, you are not tone deaf. I can tell you that. <laughs> you have to listen to our voices. So, I mean, it might disrupt your tone a little bit, but that's our fault. That's not yours. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. But on that note, let's move on to some other stuff. I know everyone loves football schedules, so we might as well spend some time here to talk about Michigan State's 2022 football schedule, which was just announced on Wednesday. There were a couple changes from what – was expected. I don't think they're surprises, but if you look at the Twitter discourse, there appeared to be some surprise. I'll try to hit a couple of the key points here where uh, the Michigan-Indiana games changed locations with the Michigan game pushed all, pushed back a week to October 29th, and that will be in Ann Arbor instead of East Lansing, and the IU game 
will be in East Lansing instead of Bloomington on November 19th. And also, the Ohio State game was pushed back two weeks to October 8th, when it was originally supposed to be the Spartans' conference opener on September 24th, and Minnesota will take that place there. Chris, let me start with you here. Uh, did you anything in particular jump out with, with, uh, with the schedule announcement? Well, the, the Michigan and Indiana games, we knew were going to be shifted in locations. I mean, we knew that back in October. We just didn't know a date. So I think the one thing that that really jumps now is that both Michigan and Michigan State go into that game on bye weeks, um, where I believe Michigan would have had a game, I think, Wisconsin the week before under the old schedule. So that puts it as another two-week buildup of hype like this year, which um, was a joy, I'm sure, um, for fans to have some trash talk and all that comes with it. I'm not exactly... Uh, a fun week to be uh, an observer of it because it can be toxic and vitriolic. But uh, I think the Ohio State game moving is going to be interesting because now you don't open with Ohio State to begin the Big Ten season. Uh, that that goes now to Minnesota at home. Um, moving the Penn State game to the, the last game of the year is, I think, I think that's going to end up going back to the way it was um, because, you know, I, I think that the the league wants to have those end-of-season rivalry games like that. And, you know, credit George Perlis and Joe Paterno for having a uh, foresight when Penn State joined the Big Ten to try and make that happen. People felt it was forced, but over the years it developed into something. And, you know, I think these two land-grant schools who, who share, you know, similar recruiting bases and some some things over the years with James Franklin that and Mark D'Antonio that, that elevated the the – intensity of that rivalry i think make that a, a good game for michigan state at the end of the year i love the penn state game at the end of the year i think that's and and um i love what it i, I just think that and it, it it gives some some oomph to the final game when it was rucker it's such a petering out of the season when it's rutgers or maryland on that weekend it just yeah no offense to rutgers and maryland well actually offense i mean you, you guys haven't done anything to, to warrant any enthusiasm about your programs but be better guys yes yeah. um <laughs> But yeah, I don't. You know, I, I think the schedule sets up well. I thought the Michigan, the Ohio State game being moved date wise, uh, was it, it, the Big Ten did MSU a favor there in a sense because that coming off that Washington trip was you know you, you don't want to have to play the Buckeyes after a long road trip right away. Um, you know the uh, the the bye week before Michigan I thought was fine. I, I had no problem with the game shift. You know. I know that some people were upset that they played twice in a row in Michigan, but what was the the COVID year when there were no fans? And they, I mean, it wasn't really a home game. And then the the other thing is that the, the MSU athletic department would prefer Michigan and Ohio State be opposite years for budgeting purposes because those are those are big boom weekends for them. So exactly, this is what MSU wants. And um, and the last time, anyway, that these teams really had a true two home games in a row was Michigan State in 2013-14. But the um, now I understand people are going to say, well, for like 50 years, I get it. The, the rivalry was born out of unfairness, and Michigan's you know smug not wanting Michigan State in the Big. I get that. We we can go back to other generations, but but let, let let's live in the the present here. The, the, the most interesting thing about this schedule to me, and I was curious where the Ohio State game was going to move, is not is that the Ohio State game is still early. And why that matters is that's a totally different dynamic than this year, where you had this crescendo for eight weeks that led into the Michigan game, where there were some solid opponents, but nothing like the Buckeyes. And if, if, that, if the Buckeyes are your measuring stick, if that's your judgment day, and it comes early, there's, there are good components to that. Michigan State was not healthy enough to be at all competitive by the time they played Ohio State. I'm not sure they would have been but Ohio State wasn't that great early on. If Michigan State had played them this year in September, totally different – October, even early October, totally different game when Ohio State wasn't playing as well and Michigan State was playing better. But the we saw in 2019 when an MSU team that truly measured itself against how it would do against Michigan State and thought it could compete and did really for a quarter and a half in Columbus as well as anybody did all year against that team. When that went south, the next week they had the no-show against Wisconsin and got hammered and the, and the season just went – sideways from there and so and mel tucker has done a great job of you know the keep chopping mentality getting kids to buy into the next thing 
and resiliency. And I'm not saying they can't overcome that if things don't go well, but it is a different dynamic. If your goals and dreams for the season are dashed in October, early October, and you've still got seven weeks to play it out, how you respond to that. And I, I understand you can lose a game and still win the Big Ten title, still get to the playoff. But if you know you're not as good as the best team in the Big Ten that early and, and what that does to you and how you respond, that, that's a real test and that'll be a different dynamic to this season. Well, uh, let's move on to some more recent news. And by recent, I mean this morning as Michigan State announced a new partnership with Caesars Sportsbook where uh, there will be premium seating areas uh, named after Caesars Sportsbook and those will presumably go to premium betters in Caesar Sportsbooks, and there will also be some signage opportunities at football, basketball, and hockey games. Uh, do we think there will be a second gambling sportsbook to kind of jump in the fray here like Michigan State has with the two mortgage companies just handing uh, and handing money over fists to, to the Spartan program? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I mean this is pretty revolutionary. I mean, they, they had a deal with Caesars and LSU back in September, uh, that was Caesar's first. Um, William Hill had a couple deals, and, and that's been absorbed since by by Caesar's Sportsbook. Um, not to be confused with Little Caesars, mind you. This is Caesar's out in Vegas. Uh, they, they, William Hill had UNLV and Reno uh, back in 2020 uh, that, that got a deal, so they absorbed that. And so this is kind of the wave of the future. This is Michigan State kind of getting in on a ground level. I, I have not seen a lot of other sports books kind of making these sort of partnerships so um potentially you could possibly see that i maybe but uh I, I would imagine this is an exclusive deal and i don't think that you'll see it i think that they wouldn't say official and exclusive if they were looking to dabble in waters elsewhere but i do think that there there's certainly you know we'll see what the the financial parameters are um because that could be a significant component for a number of things particularly the olympic sports uh, non-football sports to, to get more revenue into the department right now coming out of the COVID, coming out off the, the financial issues that they've had with that. So um, I, I think this is going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk and chatter about this um, just simply because of the history uh, over the years of how college athletics have fought against gambling and been this virtuous entity uh, across the board with an NCAA that now has, zero regulations and, and teeth to do anything. Yeah, I, I think this is a pretty forward-thinking and bold thing. I think a lot of schools will be here eventually. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think I, I think there is going to be exclusivity with it. I don't think you'll you'll see that um, most most places you've seen it's one partnership per, per sports book right now. Um, but the um, also wise guys probably don't want to be, don't want to share, you know, mortgage company guys who the hell are, <laughs> who's, who's scared of them. But the um, it it is interesting that we're here uh, at this point. I think it was smart by 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 Alan Haller to 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 go down this road because everybody's going to be there and there is money to get right now. And Caesars is one of the biggest, and it, it will. I mean, look, sports gambling people. Some people really don't like it. Some people don't like that we're all in on it and think it's to the detriment of society. And you can make that argument, and it might be. And there are people with addictive personalities who can't handle this stuff. And, and uh, but I would argue this, like I, I am somebody who is who thinks Facebook and Instagram and a lot of our social media and those components is probably worse for young people than cocaine, right? In terms of what it does for their narcissism, for their need for likes, and their their I, I think they're I mean I I think it's awful what it does, and we use it in newspaper companies to to push out our stories and everything. We're all part of this system. I do not think sports gambling sites are worse for young people or society than, than social media, than most social media. So I, I'm not going to, if we're going to get rid of gambling sites, I would be all for it. If that meant we were getting rid of Facebook and Twitter and not Twitter, well, Twitter's not healthy either, but look, it is what it is in, in terms of that stuff. That's my, my, my rant on, on, on those sort of sites. Um, but I, I think the opportunities for MSU are great. And I think it's, it's, People have come a long way on this in a very short time. And I remember, in, you know, we were talking before we did this podcast, I remember a former SID at Michigan State not loving a tweet I made about gambling in the press box. You know, this is seven years ago, about the point spread or whatever was happening in the Michigan State football game. And saying to him, you know, that's, that's fine, but part of your salary is paid for by this because 
gambling is what a big portion of what produces eyeballs and interest in college athletics, which creates the TV contracts, which creates the revenue. And you cannot run from that reality. We can like it. You can not like it. I'm somebody who likes it, right? I, I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy the discourse around it. I enjoy talking point spreads. I enjoy having action on the games, um, not Michigan state games. You should never bet Michigan state games or, or the team you're covering, but I, I enjoy this world. And so I'm, I'm all for, uh, the intersection of it with, with college athletics. And I think the more it is transparent, this is not, you know, the, the, the stuff that happened with Arizona state and Northwestern and all the point shaving Toledo more, more locally, but that, but that happens in the shadows. That doesn't happen with, you know, these, the, the it's not like somebody from Caesars now. And because there's, you know, there's the ability, because you have a connection to Caesars, that there's going to be some, somebody from Caesars who approaches a, a player about this. That's not how this works. This is not going to lead to that. Uh, that stuff's still going to be, if it happens, uh, you know, part of the dark underbelly. Uh, that's not that's not the stuff that's out out front and center. Well, it's still the the connotation of it that's there um, because of you know the NYU scandal and everything. I mean, this has been going on forever, um, and it will continue to go on as long as sports betting is a thing, which it's going to be a thing regardless. I mean, all the way back to the Romans betting on the gladiators, right? I mean, that's 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 part of the sport and entertainment uh, of the competition. The question where it comes in is, are athletes being compromised to change their performance, to give inside info to these people that are creating these things? And I, I think what's changed is this, this now is become more legal in is more legal. It's become legal in many more States Um and I think that's where the difference is with some of these partnerships. Uh, I, I know that there's a component for education involved with this, um, and I would hope that Michigan State is at the forefront of that, of telling these athletes stay away from the, ir- the irreputable side of it and, you know, don't be shaving points and all of that. I mean, I know that athletes have a lot of those conversations at the college and pro level as it is, I mean, it's posted in MLB locker rooms. That's why the Pete Rose situation was such a big deal. But, um, you know, to be ignorant to it and, and think that it doesn't exist and, and think that anything's going to change based on the past, I think, is kind of foolish. This is, to me, something completely separate. And most of the, you know, name, image, and likeness is going gonna, is gonna, to, I think, uh, take away some of that threat. There's an opportunity to make money on the up and up for these guys uh, more so than, than, than there is – uh, you know, in the back alleys, and, and I don't think it happens very often. You, you, we don't have a conversation about, uh, you know, where I think it may have happened and gets unchecked. I would, I would check some of the off the ball fouls called by officials in the final minutes of games and things like that before I would ever look at an athlete. Um, that would be my, my, uh, my take. It is funny. Somebody just uh, in, in, in retweeting your story, Chris. Somebody had responded and said, you know, that they can remember a time as a tutor in the athletic department. They were told that they. You know, they'd be fired for filling out a March Madness bracket. And I can remember at the Atlantic State Journal with our sports editor, Barry Keel, when we yeah. do our March Madness bracket, it was like we had to call – cash was called lettuce, or I forget what we called it. But we, we had to do things <laughs> that were very weird just to, to, to do a March Madness bracket. As somebody who's been running gambling pools since Sexton High School, I'm all for this. Congratulations, Barry, for making the podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I talk to Michigan students all, students all the time, and – it's crazy how many of them are just rampantly gambling. Yeah. So, and and you got to believe that it carries over. At least the discussion carries over to athletic athletes as well to some extent. Well, and here here's my thing with gambling, and I do think people need to be careful. I'm I'm somebody who's done you know the different stages of my life. Different. I mean, I, I you know when I do it now, it's 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 very. Um, I just like the action. It's very low stakes. You know, it's not it's not it's all disposable income. It's not a lot of not high end cash. There was a time in, 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 in my 20s where I would get a little more into it. But if you want to learn those lessons in life before you really have income or families to depend on you. And, and, and you all, I do think that people do – there is danger in the, you know, the addictive personalities. People get, down, get in places they can't handle financially. And uh, there, are, there are concerns. There's no doubt. And there's, we need to, as a society – like I brought up the social media component. And we need to be better at, at working with mental health and what those things do and, and – and, and having some parameters on on, on, on on those apparatuses, I think we need to be aware that we're introducing a very new addictive thing into society 
and, and have, you know, there are lots of gambler hotlines and things and, you know, um, and, and, but, and, and have ready help and, and, and open conversations about it. I think the more open we are, uh, there were lots of, you know, uh, you know, there are piece of advice is I wish I had younger on this stuff. And, and I, I think, I think that's something that we need to be, we do need to be careful about. Um, but I also think it's out there. It's a way to help pay for things in a time when budgets are crunched. And if Caesars wants to help you fund your athletic department, or if you want to have a casino in, in downtown Lansing, which I wish they would, that paid for Lansing schools, you know, to, to operate a different level, I'd be all for that. Like if you can use it for good, uh, use it for good. You know what would be a great educator? You know what would be a great educator for people getting into gambling? Teach them very first thing about what a push is and how you, <laughs> you really struggle with this one. You really hate this, don't you? That is a deep callback to an episode long ago. It is. It is. And it's, you don't lose with a push you know, either, Chris. You don't lose with a push. The push can be your friend. Yeah, the push can be your friend to a point, but, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still a little bitter. From Chris is not a gambler. If you didn't know, I think it was the night. It was it was the, it was the Broncos and Packers Super Bowl. That's all. I know. <laughs> and and to be honest, I'm pretty sure we ended up deleting that uh, segment out of the out of the podcast. So no one is definitely going to get that reference except for the <laughs> except for the two of us. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. The other we can have we can end on a little breaking news at Michigan State. Finally, finally, finally made official the final component of its football staff. Uh, with the official hiring of Ephraim Reed um, as the running backs coach. They just made that official, and we reported last night um, that the the other position on the defensive side, um, which uh, is a really interesting hire, I think, for Mel Tucker, um, is a pass rush specialist, a guy that's worked with a lot of NFL people. Reiner Saban reported it. Brandon Jordan um, confirmed that he'll be – the DNs and pass rush specialists. So Tucker's staff for next year coming together and uh, getting some, you know, some a name recognition in Brandon Jordan and a guy that's been in the program in Ephraim Reed. Graham, any final thoughts before we sign off? Jordan's an interesting hire, and I think the, the pass rush specialist, look, that's, you know, that's a bit, finding edge rushers and getting to the quarterback, that's the name of the game. That's that's half of what will help MSU's defense uh, get to a place it, it, it once was. I, I there's a lot of stuff going on. This is a lot this of sacks this year. I knew I knew that this was going to be an eventful podcast. The second that we finished the last podcast, and then Jaden Reed said he was coming back, I was like, "Well, more to talk about pretty quick." Um, I, I, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an eventful um, eventful period of time. You know, the the Northwestern game that wasn't that interesting to me a few days ago. Michigan State's response. The response of Marcus Bingham and Tyson Walker, all, all that becomes much more interesting to me. Um, and so uh, I think that'll be, uh, that's something to watch uh, this Saturday. Yeah. And I think Walker in particular, he went over five in that game at Northwestern that they won. Uh, so he would have to, he, a good game from him would be a big thing to watch uh, against Northwestern on Saturday afternoon. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.